Oh, um, Liv. Yes. You know your uh, your clean feed name. Yeah. So I meant to question it. Mm. I didn't look. Why am I called Superstorm Liv? Ah, because Tom is like, Hurricane Tom. Yeah. Ah. It's your devastating weather phenomenon name. Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> yes. This is a good one. It's all change around here, or is it? Let's get started. Seven-time champion of the world. Well, you've got the uh, Qatar Grand Prix coming in, the sustainable drive for fuel. sustainable fuel. And um, Ferrari, are they getting back up to where they used to be? Are they changing their strategies? They're changing guard in terms of priority between driver one and two? Probably not. But looking at the uh, last few races, I would indeed suggest so. Yes, we're talking, first of all, about Ferrari this season after saying last episode that we'd do just that. Talking about Carlos Sainz, who qualified in second and finished in third. Meanwhile, Charles Leclerc finished in 15th. They're currently in fourth place in terms of the Constructors' Championship, over 15 points away from McLaren, who are in third, and over 100 points away from Alpine in fourth. So they look sort of nailed on for um, that fourth place, Alpine in fifth, sorry. Um, so what do we think about that last race for Ferrari and indeed for Carlos Sainz? I think, to be fair, Carlos Sainz is um, not getting the praise he deserves. I think he's doing a rather remarkable job. What do you guys think? I think the problem we might have is there was a little bit of luck that went Ferrari's way. So it, it's it's a little bit tricky to sit here and praise them when they went onto the radio for Sainz when he was in second place a late, a later on in the race said ah oh, we're we're targeting fifth and Sainz was like why are we targeting fifth i was in second so there was a it was a little bit strange when he was doing so well and they were just like yeah we'll accept a top five finish from this uh this cracking start from you hey, hey look at us mm-hmm. um so for them to get up onto the podium places was it was more luck than skill i think and sometimes that has been ferrari's way before this tom and i were having a quick chat about ferrari and uh i said that you know the problem with ferrari is that they are so unpredictable that they don't even know what they're going to do themselves and we've made the joke so many times that that they have the magic ouija boards of of strategy and it it just feels like they have no idea they're like what's what's mercedes doing ah we'll do the opposite of that they'll never see that one coming um and and every time you look at it and you think why why are you doing this? Why haven't you pitted yet? You know, they, they are notorious for keeping drivers out on the tyres, for example. And then the driver will come on the air and be like, uh, are we going to pit? And they're like, mm, well, we've kind of missed the window, so let's hope for the best. And we know you're going to have to pit anyway, but there might be a safety car. So it, it's it's one of those moments again where it all went a bit wrong for Ferrari in the middle, but they got saved by the rain. So, Science did a good job, I think, of controlling his own race and, and not letting things go even more. But I wouldn't exactly say that it was a it was a strategy masterpiece like we've seen from Red Bull and Mercedes over the years. I think, as I say, a little bit more luck than skill. Yeah, I um, I do agree that it, it wasn't mentioned enough. Like, obviously, I understand where the talking points were following that race, and we did the exact same thing by 
failing to have time to talk about it on the podcast last week <laughs> because we were talking about other things. Um, so I completely understand. Um, however, yeah, I do think that he deserves um, a bit of a shout out. You know, he did very well. And it's all about, in a way, Formula One, especially this year with with what's going on with, um, with Lewis and Max. It is about making the most of those opportunities that come up and yet maybe it is luck but you know he did a really good job with it and shows his ambition when they said you know we can be fifth and he was like nope i want to i want to be higher than fifth why are we aiming for fifth you know he clearly believes he can do it and um yeah good for you know i think good for them i think it's nice to see ferrari up there um yes in unusual circumstances but they're, they're there nonetheless um but obviously if we're talking about ferrari um, as a whole, it wasn't fantastic uh, for Charles because he went on to the, onto the well, he stayed onto the slicks, didn't he? Instead of um, signs, signs who pitted, and I'm pretty sure he then just slowly, slowly dropped backwards, like all of those yeah. who who tried to stay out. Um, and I don't think he was even in the points, and that's the first time he's been out in the points for quite a while. So disappointing for Charles. So you've kind of got to look at it from both sides, um, and I think. Um, He's behind signs now in the standings. Um, so, yeah, it is interesting. As you say, Tom, you were talking about the switch or the change. Or I think that Charles remains their lead driver, but it's interesting to see... I mean, if they even have one. I don't, I'm not that passionate about them having a lead driver, but I think, obviously, their commitment to signs is extreme, to uh, Leclerc is extreme. But, um, you know, I don't think that signs has revolutionised the game, but I think that he's definitely shown what he can do. And, you know, they've got a really strong pairing there. So if they had a better car, they, I think they could do some really, really good stuff. Yeah, and I'm quite surprised, really, that Sainz has been able to leapfrog uh, Charles Leclerc, particularly because I think he was brought in very much as a, I don't want to say number two driver, but it's quite clear, as you say, Leclerc is the man. He's been given the longest contract of any Ferrari driver, even including Michael Schumacher, I believe. Um, and it's quite clear to see they herald him as being, you know, the, the successor or the future, should I say, of Ferrari moving forwards. But I think Carlos Sainz has really, once again, defied, uh, defied all criticism uh, by doing so well. You know, there's seven races left. It could all still change. Leclerc could still um, get past and get that sixth place or even fifth off uh, Sergio Perez. But to be ahead of him, I don't think many people uh, had that on their minds or indeed um, predicted it at all when it came to Sainz. And I think, really, if you're, if you're McLaren... Granted, your acres away, I think, of uh, Ferrari. I can't see them losing that third place to them. And yes, Ricardo's got that uh, first place uh, at Monza. But I think if you asked Zach Brown, with all the cameras and microphones turned off, um, in his quieter moments over a glass or something, if he said, could you have signs back or do you still want Ricardo? I think it's a signs, really. I think, really, Ricardo is a bit of a downgrade uh, for McLaren because of how consistent he's been, uh, signs that is, in that Ferrari car, which is the worst car. Whether or not you think drivers are a downgrade is, is, is really tricky because sometimes I don't think they get a fair shot at it. And actually, I think Ricardo's doing a good job now. And Sainz is really happy at um, Ferrari. If, like many other drivers at Ferrari, slightly frustrated at Ferrari it's mm. ca- the problem with Ferrari is they are such a legacy brand right they get special treatment within the sport it's kind of Ferrari and Monaco are Formula One at this point um <laughs> well it is true now now yeah. that the the great teams like Lotus for example have gone you've you've kind of got Ferrari to some extent McLaren but it's not really the same uh Mercedes mm. 
as the 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 proper legacy team from way back when and when we're discussing other you know family teams like williams for example you forget that they're actually still relatively new by the sport standards you know when and looking at when you look at people like ferrari and that's why Alfa romeo is so interesting because they they come back into it but it's not the same um and, and that's the problem with ferrari they are embedded in the sport and so they're embedded in their ways and so it, it can often feel like good drivers go to ferrari and then don't do very well for a bit and it's not necessarily their fault look at sebastian vettel and his last uh, season with Ferrari, it was a disaster and, and just embarrassing for everybody involved. I think science is caught up with Charles Leclerc and perhaps surpassing him. Uh, it, it can be, again, to do with unfortunate scenarios uh, that happen within in, in um, each individual race. And Leclerc has caused himself a few issues throughout the, the season. With this, with this last race, I think, it just favoured science and he was at the front and so he managed to get through the, the traffic and Charles got caught um, back in in the back of the pack. So Leclerc is certainly Ferrari's future and that's why he's been given such a long contract. They don't want him going anywhere else because imagine Charles Leclerc heading off to, I don't know, maybe uh, Mercedes. That would be a disaster mm. for Ferrari and they don't want to lose him and he's great for them in terms of the the sponsorship and the i, I don't know that their, their own brand he is really ferrari brand hence why they've given him things like a custom uh ferrari because they love the fact that he's going to charge around in his ferrari sports car showing off you know that he is integrated and what a great life it is right i mean <laughs> when you talk about company cars we're not you know we sh- maybe show off you like ah oh, well my company car is a bmw Woo-hoo. but it's not not like a ferrari or something like that <laughs> i think there is certainly something cool about joining a team like ferrari or mclaren or someone like that and getting a really cool car and then of course you know you go <laughs> imagine if peugeot were in the sport You're like ah <laughs> god my new 206 um i always felt sorry for a little bit sorry for the renault group because um a renault megan rs is a very cool hot hatch but it's certainly obtainable by the average person whereas yeah, yeah, a yeah, custom yeah. painted ferrari you know <laughs> is is certainly not um so yeah i think ferrari's future though is solid in leclerc science is their current driver so yes talking about the future of formula one indeed the 20th round of this season we are going to qatar for the first time ever when it comes to formula one it's replaced uh, australia which originally replaced japan all owing to covid19 of course taking place on the 19th of november through to the 21st this will be the third of a triple header which starts at mexico so there's the 10-year deal for the qatar circuit the um losale international circuit in doha if we're going by the official name of it built in 2004 it hosts motor gp currently and it looks like it's going to be a, a largely sort of high degradation circuit by the amount of corners but what do you all think about the introduction of a new circuit into this season and indeed into the future of formula one moving forwards Liv, are you excited about another night race in a hot country no <laughs> <laughs> I, I i have a horrible i don't like night races they give me the creeps <laughs> that's my first point i've always troubled they've always troubled me i don't i didn't enjoy them in formula e either either especially with drivers in it like i felt physically unwell and there's just something creepy about night races and i don't like it they're creepy um, and they're th- yeah they just feel daunting anyway so i'm not looking forward to that part um also i think i can i see why they need to um 
feel the, feel the gap this year, but I was quite shocked. I don't know about you guys, but I was quite shocked about the whole 10 year thing, um, considering the direction that F1 want to head in with, you know, sustainability and human rights and we race as one and all of that. Um, <laughs> we race as none. <laughs> we mm. race as nothing at all. Um, you know, the this Qatar is just another one of those places, unfortunately, that has issues with regards to you know human rights and all of this but unfortunately it's one of those places that's also very very rich and can afford for these big races and uh, you know it's um uh, it's like the oil industry and etc etc so i can understand why they've done it but i do feel like if they do agree on a contract with them they could ask for something in exchange sort of contracts that uh, ask for fairer labor across the, the the um running of the event and the surrounding building of the um, architecture around it etc etc but i understand that's easier said than done so anyway yeah i'm i'm neither delighted or like gutted it's it's another race i i personally would love to see it not a triple header and the teams to have time to breathe um and the, but at the same time for racing fans we get another race to see this amazing battle this year so as i say i'm very 50 50 um i'm i would have been happy if it was just this one year um rather than for 10 years time um but i heard that they they mentioned something about um potentially from like 2023 or something a, a street race um mm. in the capital so that would obviously be quite cool but yeah, I'm not um, overjoyed, so feel free to disagree with me. Well, I'm not too enthused by the the possibility <laughs> of a 10, 10 years. It's unheard of, really, in, in the sport. That comes with a big caveat. Um, but it is unheard of yeah. to have, a, have such a long, long contract, and they are only being dealt to the countries that have oil, basically. Oil yeah. and a lot of money behind them. I don't see these contracts being given to Spa or Monza, or the other the, the heritage tracks that are so loved by the F1 community, and that kind of irks me a little bit because I don't want to see these tracks wither and die. These these you know, historic tracks, we love them, unless it's Silverstone, in which case <laughs> nobody <laughs> likes Silverstone. <laughs> I'm so sorry if you like Silverstone, but I really don't. Um, and Qatar has been heralded by those who have driven it as being hard to overtake at and that was at moto gp so they've said that it's, it's hard and it, it looks to be a bit of a meh track i might be wrong i might be wrong uh, but if if those drivers who are dri- driving it <laughs> are saying that it's not very good then i'm not holding up too much hope uh, but they well they've got 10 years to adjust it and they have just adjusted um abu dhabi so i suppose there's yeah. that but to be honest i just don't think it's a good idea to give these 10-year contracts to uh, to tracks in countries which let's say uphold a set of values that are opposed to those touted by formula one management as you say Liv, we race as one and you know that sort of mantra and everything that goes on with you know equality diversity and inclusion etc is incredibly important to the f1 community and f1 management and so on one hand they've got that and then they're like qatar why yes give us all your money it's like i mean it's it's on par with them uh driving for 
fuel sustainability and transitioning to the the synthetic fuels and then backhandedly funding the oil companies to continue yeah. the explanation of uh, expo- exploration of fossil fuels it's and like also the the travel between these places that they've now decided to put on the calendar mexico brazil qatar saudi arabia they they these like they're wasting so much fuel <laughs> and and causing damage to the environment by the ways that they're organizing their schedule as well and just plopping things in like it's plopped, it's, plopped. it's it, it it's they they go on about about this sustainability and obviously we'll come on to what they've announced today but it just doesn't make sense but it does because at the end of the day it's about money what did lewis say cash is king yeah and mm. there we are that's that's what it is and to address the your final point live when you when you were speaking in whether or not formula one should be able to exert pressure well absolutely because these countries want to host these international races and it's good for the country then if you if they want that sort of promotion then there has to be an exchange there and so it's got to be on equal footing so they have to say well yeah you we are quite happy to do a deal with you but in order to do that you've got to make sure that you are upholding the values that we think you should and so yeah they should actually uphold the values they should make sure that the workers for example on at, at the f1 event are are being paid adequately and you know are let's say diverse because that's important to f1 and if you start cutting out these things then it just becomes a hollow mantra and yeah yeah maybe we are living in a in a you know idealistic world but the reality is the whole point of the transition away from the eccleston era was supposedly that move away from the old guard of formula one into one that's a bit more diverse and a bit more modern you know so uh Mm. yeah i think i think there's a bit of a way to go with formula one at the moment yeah, absolutely right. I can't really add too much to what you guys have said, but I think it was rather surprising, to put it lightly, about the fact that it was announced they're going to Qatar, and then that was that. There was no sort of uh, murmurings of disgust or annoyance or, um, I suppose, shame almost from drivers of those senior in Formula 1. It was just, oh, okay, there's a gap in the calendar, courtesy of COVID-19. We've got a, a circuit there which is race-worthy, has an FIA grade 1 licence, etc. That's <laughs> great it hosts motor gp brilliant you know boom it's largely in the direction of um saudi arabia and um uh, uae sorry uh insofar as in the middle east brilliant you're heading in the right direction in terms of travel boom works for everyone but yes um there's been very little about the regime when it comes to um qatar and how they sort of treat members of uh of society and indeed their workers as well because there was so much controversy still is about qatar hosting the uh, upcoming fifa world cup in terms of football and the amount of um workers who have unfortunately passed away constructing stadiums etc there and how that's not been brought up or made such an issue is baffling to me granted the circuit is complete uh, as of 2004 but still the issue carries on, you know. They'll be constructing temporary stands for people to sit and to watch the, the sport in. They'll be producing food and travel, etc. So there's still a lot of involvement from the wider population. And we're yet to hear anything about, ultimately, how they're going to ensure good standards are held. And it's one of those things, isn't it, that cash is king and oil is supreme. Because I've got the list here of the biggest oil producers in the entire world. And I've done some quick maths. And out of the uh, top 15 in the entire world, nine of them host Formula One races. And bear in mind, two of the people in the top 15 
uh, Iraq and Iran, which, you know, can't really host Formula One races for various different reasons. Um, so, yes, it's quite clear that oil is supreme. That's why they've been given the huge contract. The only positives I can take from this is it kind of reminds me of Bahrain, the circuit, which I quite like. It is race worthy. They've been hosting various different um, motorsports there in the past, so that's good. But to end on a lighter sort of trivia note, which I did a few episodes ago, <laughs> who holds the qualifying lap record when it comes to Qatar? A hint, a hint, a very important hint. Uh, the person who holds it is a Formula One driver and is currently in the Formula One setup. So don't just think sort of main two drivers for teams. Think of Think of reserve drivers as well. Hint, hint. Reserve drivers. Hulkenberg. Like Hulkenberg. Oh. Correct. Correct. Congratulations. Yes. Um, I don't know if you saw the the news <laughs> or the F one announcement, but um, mm. because it's Qatar um, and it's joining in twenty twenty one, but uh, they've also spoken about twenty twenty two. So according to Formula One, um, twenty twenty two will feature twenty three races uh, with plans for sprints at a third. Okay, yeah. A I third like that. of the races. Yeah. It's what I said. It's what I, it's what I, I said as the mm. middle ground a few episodes ago. So it's, it's an interesting <laughs> prediction Inside there, Tom. Earth. Well, is it a good thing? I think I think a third's a good, a good way to have it so far because then you're keeping the old system, which I quite like, and then also sort of spicing it up a bit in terms of the new one. But I think the issue when it comes to sprint qualifying still remains the length of it. I think it's too long at the moment. And secondly, the points being given out for the winners. It needs to be more than just a sprinkling of points uh, for the winner because, A, that's not going to make too much of a difference, I don't think, in terms of the championship. And then again, as we said in previous episodes, why on earth would you throw it down the inside or outside to get the win if you're just going for five points instead of four, for example? Yeah, I, well, you guys know how I feel. I don't love the sprint races very much. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I'm i okay with it being a third, I guess, because, you know, it's still not the majority. Um, and, you know, it does mix things up and it, it certainly has done this year and caused some excitement and some drama. So, yeah, um, I think it's going to be a good year next year. But I, as I briefly mentioned earlier, I do think that 23 races is, is a lot. Um, no matter how much people these people working in F1 adore their jobs, it it's still you can't work them just because they they're doing their dream job. You can't work them, you know, to to the ground. They, uh, that will essentially we did all the triple headers. It will essentially be twenty one days straight um, because they work Monday to Friday every race week, and it's straight from the next ones they won't see their families and they won't uh, anything like that. So it's very different for the team principals and the drivers who rock up on the Thursday like. From on their private jet um <laughs> so i do think 23 is a lot but again very exciting for the fans um and i will be interested to see how much the sprint races affect the season as a whole uh, just with it as they are this year so um yeah let's see what happens so yes on the morning of recording this being a tuesday f1 have announced they're aiming to create a 100 percent sustainable fuel for the sport introducing it by 2025 they say and this will include a new engine and this has resulted really in some major car manufacturers being quite interested in maybe putting their hat in the ring in terms of formula one and fighting for that constructors championship yeah this is this is the problem with engines right engines are great because once you've got the hang of them it puts you massively ahead of the crowd and this is what's caused problems with formula one for the last few years in the hybrid era 
when the hybrid engine with the MGUH and MGUK came about and they ditched the V8s, well, we ended up in a scenario where Mercedes got the upper hand and this benefited Mercedes customers such as Williams. As it turned out, it was basically powering the crap Williams car around the track <laughs> um, for far too long and then everyone else caught up. And over time, we've found that other other engine manufacturers have caught up in different ways. Uh, for example, Honda really pushed the boat out when it came to... Um, developing their engine and now they're doing brilliantly ferrari decided just to cheat i mean ferrari decided yeah. to look at the rules under close inspection and find a new way of, of interpreting how much fuel they could send through the system and uh renault is renault is just doing their own thing um and <laughs> powering the alpine car so no t- no new en- no new manufacturer kind of wants to get involved because everyone's everyone's got their own sort of thing and you can't be a big manufact- car manufacturer. And we're not talking about like car manufacturers like Ford or or someone like that. We're talking about manufacturers like the VW Group or Stellantis, right? We're talking about the, the overarching groups of car manufacturers. These It's really fascinating to find out who owns cars, right? It, it, it's it's more complicated than, than you might think. So the, when the VW Group approaches looking at Formula 1, they see a situation where they're going to develop a chassis, which they could do. VW are good at, at, at creating, for example, uh, Le Mans cars and do great in that. But they could definitely create a chassis. The problem is they don't have to buy an engine from Honda or Renault, Mercedes, Ferrari. And they're mm. just not going to do that because that would be embarrassing. It wouldn't be really part of their brand. Uh, yeah, it's like it's like you couldn't see Mercedes being like, oh yeah, we're just going to fit a Ferrari engine. Ta-da! Uh, it's never going to happen. <laughs> so th- what this whole thing about sustainability is going to do is it's going to open up the the engine regulations into a fresh slate where everyone's going to be on equal footing which allows companies like vw to look at it and go well we might have a crack at that then so they're going to be moving to e10 fuel uh what that means is it's 10 percent ethanol uh in the uk we have actually just moved over to that ourselves and europe doing the same thing um if you have a new car i mean i have a kia for example uh cool i know um but that that's fine to run on this sort of fuel it's developed to it is it, the engine was developed knowing that the the seals for example wouldn't get degraded by the alcohol and the ethanol if you live in brazil uh, i think it's brazil you're already running off e100 where it's just basically ethanol you live you're running your engine off for ethanol and it's a perfectly yeah. acceptable way to to run an engine uh something like a petrol engine will actually run on anything that goes boom um Whereas a diesel is much more, much more picky because uh, they have compression. Anyway, longest sort of it is, we are moving to a situation in Formula One, hopefully by 2025, um, I think it's 2025, when they're going to be have 100% sustainable fuel. And that it will be made from synthetic fuels and from uh, plant-based fuels as well. Uh, ethanol, for example, is a great way to, to get that because you just grow a plant and then you get the alcohol from it and then you burn it. I mean, think of it, if you'd like, as setting fire to a vodka shot. You know you know that it, it, it burns. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're moving to the vodka shot of, uh, of Formula One period yes thank you for that tristan i learned i learned a lot <laughs> no i actually did um <laughs> i was going to talk far more basically because i don't know all that um <laughs> basically i was just going to say that i think that 
Formula One really had to head in this direction eventually with regard to sustainability because that's just the way the world is heading and it could no longer, the way it was, could no longer be how it would how it could, it could never carry on like that and obviously we've seen big changes already in the past like however many years so it, it makes sense to progress forward this way obviously it, it's probably affected by the you know the popularity and the reasonable success of formula e and extreme because they've understood you know that what's that tiktok they've understood the assignment that <laughs> i don't know if you've wow. seen that they've they i know they've understood cool. because they've realized that they are that this is the direction the world is heading and they've jumped on it um early and so that's you know alejandro gag did a fantastic job with that um and it was interesting to see whether people would transition to formula e when formula one became less acceptable so what formula one now have to do is react to that sort of thing i'm not saying that formula e is going to take all f1's fans because that didn't happen and it won't but they have to move with the times so yeah i'm not surprised about um the fact that they've made this change but i don't think i was expecting it just this second it seemed quite a very sudden uh announcement this morning you know considering they were describing it as a global game changer um and then this is the future etc etc i was kind of expecting more build-up but it just arrived and great and i think it's exciting as you say because it will make things with the fact there's new engines and stuff it will make things more interesting um racing wise and then as you say tristan the interest of vw is is quite exciting too because um the you know brands within vw like such as audi and porsche um they've obviously done quite well in formula e the whole point of of formula e was um well one of the main points of formula e was these big brands that create cars for the actual market coming in and testing this amazing technology and then putting it back using what they've learned and putting it into their road cars and creating amazing you know electric road cars so they they, they've experimented on this testing ground for a while and they've created some really great stuff but but um audi and porsche are both leaving as constructors anyway um or or like suppliers or however you want to put it um at the end of they've they've left at the end of this season seven we've just had uh in formula e but and then i think there's a whole there's a whole year away but then mercedes um are, will be leaving as well um and the teams are staying in their own in different ways but the, the the manufacturers those those big global car names and those brands they're leaving and so as you say what for it, it's interesting it seems yeah. maybe they know something we don't are they preparing as you as you suggested and to step into formula one you know audi and porsche were big competitors in formula e and they clearly have have the ability to run a successful race team and now with this change and with their morals being met by formula one they may not have wanted to enter in their previous how formula one is currently but because of the way they're heading in them in their road cars but formula one's meeting those needs and they know how to deal with this sort of sustainable uh race cars so you know why why would they not join and and do quite well so i I say bring it on um i just hope that we don't lose the likes of Formula E and Extremely because they they are something special in them than themselves and especially with the street circuits of Formula E and the you know Arctic slash deserts you know environments yeah. of Extremely I think they're, they're hopefully they're still there to stay but I I'm excited to see where where it will go. Absolutely, yeah. I think this is really exciting news, and I think Formula One have really played a, bind, a blinder in this department, uh, maybe not in others, but um, when it comes to the sort of striving towards sustainable fuel, 100%, that is a, is a good a good move because while there are sort of global international mandates in place, you want to be seen at least 
to be going ahead of those or doing a bit more, not sort of uh, dragging your heels or your feet and just thinking, oh, I guess we'll be carbon neutral by 2030. You want to be seen as being a, a sort of a, a keen actor in, uh, in sort of uh, inst- instituting this change, which Formula One... I believe are definitely doing there. They've not only done this over many years in terms of not allowing uh, cars to refuel when it comes to pit stops way back when, and also the first sort of carbon neutral Grand Prix, I believe that was Silverstone, um, but also with this with this fuel. And if that results in you know your Volkswagen uh, family joining Formula One, that's a that's a great move for everybody because it means more competition, it means more ideas, it means more money as well for the sport as well, which means that could result in let's say less dependency on pay drivers. Ultimately, that could that could happen. But I think Christian Horner is absolutely right when he says that this is proof that Formula One is beating Formula E. And um, expanding on the points that you've both made, I think this was really Formula One's. I suppose existential crisis—the thing they had to sort of go towards and and defeat—and if they can implement this new fu- uh, fuel, this 100% sustainable fuel, then I think that um, Formula E doesn't really have too much of a leg to stand on in terms of being a, I suppose, serious or equal uh, motorsport to Formula One. And I suppose if if Porsche goes, Audi goes, that is a clear indictment of where the wind is blowing in terms of uh, the population's interest, in terms of money, in terms of future. They want to be planning ahead and going for the competition which has the biggest future and has the biggest opportunity. And I think it's a ringing endorsement of the sport and um, long live F1. Well, to... to I suppose put the rumours to rest that Formula E will be scrapped and Formula 1 will replace that niche. There is actually an exclusive agreement between the FIA and Formula E, so they can't actually be all electric um, for the Formula 1 cars. So there has to be fueled. So mm. uh, I that's the future, right? There will just be... I mean, I, I, might, I think the future of Formula 1 will eventually... It will be like, ah, uh, they're going to go to like a V4 formation and then it will be like a two-cylinder and then right at the end it'll just be moped engines like little two-stroke <laughs> you know what i mean little chicken chaser engines with yeah, massive yeah, bash, yeah. like technically fueled um so one of the things they're going to be doing is is taking out the mguh and the mguh is the unit that converts hot exhaust gases into electrical power and it's regenerating like that and that's part of the the gripe that vw has with the engine they don't like that because it's really complicated and mercedes have done it really well uh and so that's what's going to be removed in 2025 and then they're going to have a big battery and a regen system that just works off of just the energy you, you exert into the into the wheels um like a normal hybrid and that will cut costs because what it then means is you don't have this like weird electric turbo thing because all of this, all, I mean, all of this ducting, tubing, and, and, and testing for pressures and stuff is really time-consuming. And you know, I, I don't know mm. the half of it. Obviously, otherwise, I'd be there designing one. Um, but you know, they are taking away these complicated units and instead replacing them with a much simpler system. Just before I've just been reminded, just before we wrap up, I've just remembered. Um, just quickly worth noting before before we wrap, um, if we kind of we're briefly talking about Sochi and we're now ending talking about Sochi and moving on to Turkey this weekend. Um, big congrats to uh, Dennis Hauger who won the uh, Formula Three Championship in Sochi. Um, I think it's just worth noting considering we're we're often talking about the future. Um, he will be 
stepping up to F2 without doubt. Like, I don't think it's been uh, completely revealed yet, but I think Helmut Marco said, you know, expect to see him there. So just a name to keep in your mind, listeners, for, for the future. He, he won with 200, no, over 200 points and the person behind him, the driver behind him had like 180 or something. So a decent lead and a really good performance. So keep Dennis Hager in mind and look out for Oscar Piastri as well in Formula 2. So just some feeder series news to to get, uh, end this episode. You heard it here first when yeah. they're big names. Thank you. Thank uh, mm-hmm. Liz Perry for all that. No problem. Thank you very much, dear listener, for once again listening to the end of another episode of F1 in Review. We're concluding now by looking forward to Turkey. Turkey starting on the 8th of October. We're back at that circuit where it was really, really slippery last time, if you can remember. But we've been told by the FIA and everybody who's organising it that this time it's going to be a lot more grippy, which is all good to know. There is a 56% chance of rain, though, on the race. Oh, is there? Yeah. It might even rain, Tom. So it could be slippy when it's meant to be slippy, not just when it's dry. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Fantastic. But um, yes, hopefully some rain in Turkey. Hopefully a very interesting race like we saw in Sochi and Monza. And hopefully a lot for us to talk about in the next episode. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Absolute scenes if Stroll goes ahead and wins this. (laughs) (laughs) His favourite circuit. (laughs) 